Howdy, and welcome back to another week of Cannon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and before we get started, I wanted to remind you guys one last time, if you are hearing this in the month of July 2019, there's just a few more days left of the July sale at our brand new website where you fill your cart with $25 or more, and we will ship to you in the United States of America for free. So. Don't miss out on that. Um, This week, we are chatting with Michael Foster from It's Good to Be a Man podcast and website, and it was a fantastic conversation. So please, uh, if you enjoyed it, check him out at It's Good to Be a Man podcast and It's Good to Be a Man.com. And his Twitter, uh, which I've really benefited from, is at This Is Foster. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. Uh, I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week we are chatting with Michael Foster from the It's Good to Be a Man podcast. Michael, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad to be on. You, Thank you. You, uh, you mentioned that you are headed to Cincinnati. That's right, the Queen City. We're going there because uh, it looks like the apocalypse may be happening, and Mark Twain warned us that if the world was going to come to the end, uh, you should go to Cincinnati because it takes 10 years for everything to get there. See? What a great answer. We So Cannon is in Cincinnati at least once a year for the great the homeschool, homeschool convention. convention. Yep. yep. There it is. Do you, are you, do, you, do you go to that? I don't, but um, I, you know, if, you're, if you're around the northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area um, you, you, and in the churches out there, you're well acquainted with uh, Answers in Genesis. So got it, got it. And they, they have a big— I, Well, you know, it's a giant thing. It is a, it's a huge, uh, you know, we do the, we do the majority of the GHC tour and it's, uh, that's the biggest one by far. Yeah, that's great. So we, uh, so awesome. So you're not there yet, but you're heading there, you're packed up and, um, we we pull out Thursday morning and arrive sometime Friday. We're going to stay at a, uh, Airbnb or VRBO, whatever on Thursday. It's got a big tree house for my kids to sleep in and then we'll drive up the rest of the way on Friday. That's the dream. If you're moving, you know? (laughs) <laughs> to stop by. Uh, we'll uh, find out. With a tri- <laughs> True. So, Michael, uh, so I've been catching up on It's Good to Be a Man, really enjoying cool. your content, and I thought, man, we got to have this guy on for Cannon Calls. So, who is Michael Foster, and uh, can you tell me about this project? Uh, sure. Well, um, I'm a Christian. I did not grow up in a Christian family. I converted to Christ. God called me to himself in my late teens out of a um, kind of a broken... It was a pagan household, but pagan in an American sense, where you just got a little bit of everything. Um, I remember I was trading uh, baseball cards with a friend in middle school, and I asked him what he was. He said, I'm I'm a Roman Catholic. What are you? And I said, I, I think my mom's a Christian. So I, does that make me a Christian? And he said, I don't know, but I'll trade you this Roger Clemens for that Daryl Strawberry. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I really saw myself as agnostic and then converted uh, through the simple preaching of the gospel. Some guy told me to repent and believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked in my heart and I became a Christian. And then I came up through the kind of charismatic chaos of the late nineties, ended up in a Calvary chapel and they uh, were very anti-Calvinistic, but they told me I should read on expository preaching. And I discovered John Calvin and Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and got, I became, uh, you know, reformed on accident. So is there a fault? <laughs> Calvary Chapel is a great starter church. They they produce so many Calvinists, which is hilarious because, you know, they, they claim to be Calvinian, like right oh, down nice. the middle. Nice. And, um, but they love God's word and they love the loss. And for all their problems, uh, God definitely used it powerfully in my life to teach me just kind of the basics of the, of scripture. Um, so, uh, I'm married. I met my wife, um, as I was graduating high school and, uh, Emily and I have been married 16 years and we have, uh, we've had seven kids, one's in heaven. And then we've got six here in South Carolina. We've got, uh, four boys, two girls, and uh, it's uh, it's chaos some some days like today it is chaos, <laughs> um, and I've been in the ministry uh, really 
since I've been 18, which is not a good thing, <laughs> but it has been my life. I've been mostly bivocational. And lately, uh, most recently, I was an associate pastor in a PCA church, and I served as a director there for five years. And right now, we're taking a year off from vocational ministry, moving up to the Queen City, and uh, going to put a lot of more effort into It's Good to Be a Man. Uh, a lot of my creative energy has gone into sermons and Sunday schools and all that. But now we're going to redirect it that direction and build up our household. And, and after a year, we'll see what the Lord would have us do in Cincinnati. So that's that's who I am. I'm a Pisces. <laughs> um, a, I used to be a Bengals fan before I became a Sabbatarian. And and uh, and now they get rid of Marvin Lewis it's when I'm probably, a Sabbatarian. It's probably for the best, man. It really is. It, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> you could be a Browns fan, but I, my understanding from my my uh, friends that don't think there's ten commandments, that only think yeah, there are nine. Right. My understanding is that the Browns actually are quite good this year, which again brings us back to the the coming apocalypse. I think I think you're exactly right, and I think the acquisitions department there could is the beast. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, now, you the project's about. So, um, so I have, you know, I've, I've been kind of in, this has been a topic of interest of mine since I was a freshman in college at Northern Kentucky University, is sexuality. But um, I wanted to do a podcast on it for a long time. And I came up with the idea a couple of years ago and started playing around with it. But it never really, I never really did much with it. And I just, was kind of going to do the same stuff that everyone does really um in this this kind of little niche um if you've been reading doug wilson and tim bailey and some of the vision forum stuff which i'm not a huge fan of but the the, you know doug and tim are pretty solid guys Uh, i was just gonna kind of try to translate that for a younger crowd and uh and didn't really get anywhere but then I, I got more and more interested in some what I saw developing with Jordan Peterson and the Red Pill movement and just other things. And I read up on that and uh, and I wrote a little – well, a little. I wrote a Facebook status that kind of went uh, viral and a friend of mine, non-tenant, turned out he was reading all the same stuff I was. So I said, look, I, I want to do this project. Um for men and i've started a little bit would you join so he joined and uh, our mission simple we want to see god's household expand um and we do that by helping men to establish their own household in strength skill and wisdom uh so we're really focusing on articulating a positive and practical doctrine of manhood so we don't just exist to talk about how terrible feminism is though it is absolutely wretched um and we're not just here to scream at men and tell them to man up and be a man and kind of do the Mark Driscoll, how dare you sort of stuff. But yeah, actually, yeah. Um, you know, men need courage and you don't want to discourage them. You want to encourage them. They need courage to fight uh, the battle that's in front of them. So uh, in that sense, we're positive, not in a, you know, sort of cotton candy, obnoxious Christian music sense. Uh, but that we, we want to give men the strength to go out there and fight what's in front of them because it is it is intimidating. So right now it takes the form of a, a podcast. I think we're about 16 episodes in. We do a monthly newsletter. We write articles. I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, and uh, we're we're working behind the scenes on several little booklets. Our first one's going to be on a uh, biblical doctrine of of attraction. Uh, so sexual attraction, that's going to make us really popular with the right people and the wrong people all at once, I'm sure. Which is, which is the right way to do it. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Canon Press knows something about that, I think. Uh, so. Yeah, we're somewhat experienced in the, in the, in the angering of folks. Um, that's awesome. And, you, and I appreciate that you mentioned um, the sort of the positive in the sense of uh, you actually unpack, explain, and give advice to what it is on a practical level, uh, what masculinity is. So rather than just beating up the men or just beating up feminism, there's a real, uh, painted picture that's, uh, inspiring and one that you want to go forth in courage to. Yeah. Amen. I mean, all theology is practical. All practice is theological. You got to be able to connect those dots. Men. I remember when I read the book of James for the first time when I was like 18 years old, I was like, this is amazing. Finally. Someone's telling me what to do. I just want to know 
what to do. What am I supposed to do? Okay, true and undefiled religion. I got to love widows, got to love orphans and keep myself undefiled from the world. This is great. You know, I think so a lot of guys are like, okay, now what? Right. You know, and and so we've got to bring both the theology that undergirds what it means to be a man, but that theology should always send forth an action. And if it's not sending forth an action, it's not scripture because God is a God of action. Right. So when we look, uh, you kind of mentioned you gave some some uh, sort of as far as some historical recent historical figures in the discussion of masculinity and the rest and maybe the pitfalls of where we are. You mentioned Jordan Peterson and sort of the manosphere. So can you as far as you understand it, you said you've been thinking about this. I just I assume I take you to mean longer than than the recent uh, pop cultural. Uh, yeah, definitely. Excitement over this. Um, what was happening, um, I guess, what was happening before that this is a thing now? Uh, I don't take evangelicals to be great quarterbacks in terms of reading the defense. So, you know, there's a lot of what you're doing. Uh, I see a lot of men rushing to this um, this sort of field right now um, when it seems like, you know, this is not a new thing. It's just I think maybe the the check has bounced on previous forms of masculinity. Can you talk about maybe how you got interested in it? What, what was happening that maybe you saw this is a definite miss from, from current evangelicalism? So, yeah. So first, like Nan, Nan and I refer to this as clueless bastards, right? That's a phrase that's that good. we use a lot. Okay. And, um, and that's not a pejorative, sure. right? It's a descriptor. I'm a clueless bastard. Nan's a clueless bastard. We're a few generations deep into clueless bastards. And we, we get that from Hebrews 12.8, the old KJV, the authorized version. But if you're without chastisement, whereof all are partakers in, are ye bastards and not sons? Or if you're using a newer translation, let's say illegitimate. In other words, um, what it, a son is someone that's disciplined by a father. He's carrying the father's name into the world. The father cares deeply about his name and therefore cares about his son. He loves his son. He wants his son uh, to be disciplined. Anyone that's in like the world of Twitter knows Jocko Willinks. Jocko has this saying that discipline is freedom. So everyone thinks like young men right now, they don't, they don't want to be disciplined. Oh yeah. We'll go to, well, how is Jocko Willinks book? a bestseller. Who do you think's following them on Twitter? You think that's like baby boomers or following Jocko Willings? No. I mean, give me a break. These are young men that are saying, wait a second, I want to be free. I want, I need a father. Right. And so they're looking, they're looking for discipline. And so we're a couple generations into young men that have grown up coddled, ignored, whatever. There hasn't been fathers disciplining them. And, and that's why they're weak. Scripture says all discipline uh, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, that's a key word, trained, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's a whole, we're, we're generations of untrained men. And it's because the fathers aren't there. And like Alex, J.W. Alexander has a really great quote. He says, where, uh, where the head of a family is lukewarm or worldly, he will send the chill throughout the whole household. Right. Yeah. So the father sets the thermostat in the house. If there's no father, and I remember reading, um, I think it's Reforming Marriage by Wilson, and he talked about how a father, a fa- like the empty chair at the dinner table, still is defining to the family. Right. That that the dad's not at the table. It still sets uh, the whole, uh, trajectory of the home. It, it, and so even when a father's not there by his abdication, he's, he's sending the home in a particular direction and leading it. And that was very po- powerful to me. And so there's men out there, men like me, my dad, my dad's an ex-con, eighth grade education, in and out of jail, gambling addict, struggled with alcoholism his whole life. He loved me, but he didn't have a lot to give me because my grandfather was a cult leader. Long story. Um, Whoa. nonetheless, he grew up, underneath a very evil man and beat my dad my dad wanted to move the ball down the field a little bit he moved a little bit down the field with me but he didn't have a lot to give to me and uh he wasn't the evil man that my grandfather was but he he loved me and that that meant a lot but i still did not know how to be a man so i started 
wanting to understand that. And so I started reading lots of books on it. It's how I found Reforming Marriage, how I found Rediscovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Man and Woman in Christ by Stephen B. Clark, all, all those books, and it was interested to me in anthropology class. And so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not different. Sure. I'm really normal. There are generations of men that are hungry for the presence of a of a of a, a father that brings them discipline. I've been thinking a lot about my coaches, and coaches are like the one of the few places that men still can be men, where men can be fathers. You know, it's like it's really hard for people to understand guys like Bob Huggins at the UC Bearcats or um, Bobby Knight over at, uh, at uh, IU. These guys that are just so mean <laughs> and hard on their players, throwing chairs <laughs> hither and thither. That's right, but but he wants. He wants the best out of his players. He's going to get everything out of them. He's going to push them hard. And men respect that, right? Men respect the man that pushes them hard. And so these guys are looking for fathers. And this this gets me to Absalom in 2 Mm -hmm. Samuel 15, 6. It talks about Absalom uh, sat in the city's gates, and he stole the heart of Israel. He stole their hearts away. And so they would come— uh, and Absalom, hey, what's what's going on, man? What's your problem? Come talk to me. I'll hear you out. Yeah, if I was king, right? right <laughs> so right. Absalom steals their hearts. And, and so he invests time in them. He took interest in them. He sided with them. He defended them, right? He just invested in these people. And by doing so, he stole their hearts. So we have this whole generation of clueless bastards that are looking for fathers. And out comes men like Jordan Peterson. Out right. comes uh, men like uh, Jocko Willinks, you know, all these different guys who are these Joe, Absalom. Joe Rogan, I imagine. Joe Rogan, yeah. Joe Rogan's more like your crazy uncle, but yeah. nonetheless. Um, <laughs> True, but, but he does just, have those inspirational moments. He he does, and what's, what's likable about Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan is uh, – there's very little guile in him. He's straight up. He yeah. seems very honest. He is right. who he is. And men men can smell fakes. Like you see these preachers. I can't remember which preacher it was. I think it was like Andy Stanley or Ed Young Jr. They're like walking out on the stage with their iPod yeah. uh, right. speakers around their neck. And I'm like, dude, who buys that? Right. Like, seriously? I mean, look at, look at you. And it reminds me of that um, Billy Madison movie or that Happy Gilmore movie. I can't remember. It's one Adam Sandler where Steve Buscemi comes out and he's like dressed up like a kid, but he looks like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how's it going, fellow kids? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and you're like, come on, man. <laughs> come yeah, on. No doubt. You're so fake. You, men smell fakes, right? This is like high school. Right. Like if you go to public high school, what you're trained is to find everyone's flaws, to make jokes about it, and to sniff out fakes, right? Right. And men smell fakes. They want real fathers. And they see these men. They say, you know what? These There's something real about these men, right? Jordan Peterson, yeah, we're talking about you know Jungian archetypes and, and all sorts of problems in his thinking, but he's courageous, right? Absolutely. Jack Willings, I mean, this dude's like legit. I mean, this guy's over there fighting wars and, right. and and developing new tactics of urban warfare and getting up every morning at 4.30. And, you, you know, so these guys have real discipline and men respect them. And so their hearts are being stolen away by these guys because the church right. is not full of lions. It's full of house cats, right? They're just a bunch of house cats. I'm a house cat. I don't want to be a house cat anymore. No man wants to be a house cat, right? They don't want to be declawed right. and using the restroom in like some little box. We want to be out on the pride killing things. And so so what's happening is like we've just re- reached kind of peak beta weak pastor. Weak Christianity. Caleb's been marketing to soccer moms and and men are just like I'm done. Right. I'm done. And the church isn't giving me anything. And so they're just sick of it. The worship pastor has asked them to sing like the last, that type of song that they'll sing, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, am I supposed to make out with Jesus or worship him? What's going on here? You know, you got some guy up there with his faux hawk, you know, singing falsetto, telling me to sing it prophetically one more time, whatever that means. And guys are, guys are sick of it. 
guys are sick of the sort of high estrogen, low testosterone churches. They, and so they're looking for it from somewhere. And so the West is full of clueless, feminized bastards. And they're sick of being feminized and emasculated. And they want to be men. And so the problem is, is the church's curriculum for manhood is, is limited. And so where do men turn to? Well, I'll tell you where they turn to. They turn to the same place that I turn to when I want to figure out anything. So where I learned to tie uh, a half Windsor knot um, uh, was YouTube. <laughs> Wiki how, <laughs> you know? man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, this up, over, under. When I'm trying to like figure out electrical problems with my cars or, or fix anything that I was never taught, you know, I go to Papa YouTube. And Papa Oof. YouTube shows me the way. So these guys are going there and they're like, how can I be a man? I mean, one of one of my favorite channels. This young guy, he's really insightful. I, I I'll go to Charisma on Command, and uh, he's he's a fascinating. He's got to be in his early twenties, but he's really insightful. But I'm just interested to see what he points out. And he's got millions of subscribers. And then you go in the comments and read. The comments are pretty like thoughtful, actually. Usually, YouTube is like where thought goes to die. <laughs> right. the, the comments are like, it's the only place meaner than YouTube comments is probably like 4chan or something. Right. But um. But nonetheless, you go there, and these were men. This is where they're going to learn how to be men. And you can stand up on your stage and decry it and talk about how evil the internet is and how people need to get off. But guess what? They're not listening to you. They're not in your church. And if they are in your church, you're not giving them practical answers, things that actually help them, and they're going to turn to who gives them some answers. So Absalom is stealing our men, man. He's stealing our men. And, and the thing is, we have God's word. I mean, Proverbs is this treasure trove of a father's wisdom to his son. Song of Solomon's like, here's how you love a woman. Ecclesiastes is like, hey, if you're going to be a, even if you get everything, if you are alpha as alpha, you get the money, you get the women, you get the status, you get the wisdom, guess what? It doesn't matter if you don't fear God and keep his commandments, right? Or if you are godly, what if you lose everything? Right. Well, you gotta, you got to be faithful to God, uh, a la Job. I mean, we have this wisdom literature that is ready to be plumbed, and and to and men need it. And these aren't the places the churches are going. We just have another another sermon. If you're in a reformed church, we we've had another sermon about oh the dangers of legalism yet again and solo <laughs> and 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 so it's just a time that these men are just sick of it. They're sick of it, and they're sick of pastors talking down to them. They're sick of men that are are detached from the evil of our day. It is evil. I mean, look, when I was a kid, if you wanted to masturbate the porn, it was high risk. You had to go in another room of like your like your dad's house and steal one of his tapes, his VHS, if he had them. Right. And if your dad didn't have, you had to go to your friend. Nowadays, these kids, these kids have like screens that free high def porn. Right. Right. It's like everywhere. Like every ad is pornographic. And so they're growing up with with porn everywhere. They're growing up with women that are getting their uh, egos inflated through social media and Instagram. I mean, it is it is kind of a dark time, man. And um, and it's real easy uh, to overlook some of these challenges. People people will say, well, there's nothing new under the sun. True. Lust is not new. High def porn to <laughs> your new. phone anytime in the bathroom. That's kind of a new thing, dude. Yeah, that's right. pretty new. Right. Right. It is interesting. So Go ahead. I was just going to say that's that's kind of where we why why we care about that. That's why I think uh, I think we're just kind of at peak insanity. People can be cheetahs today. You know, there's like people that identify as cheetahs and women marrying lamps. I mean, it's kind of like peak insanity, and guys are like, "All right, okay, uh, that's enough." <laughs> right. It is. It is interesting in terms of uh, going back to, real quick to what you were saying about uh, coaches. You know, I do feel like um, in this reductio, even that you're explaining with who's marrying what and and the rest, there's certain elements of life where you can't go any further in this world. Like the world won't allow you to do it. So. For example, I'm thinking of things like uh, a trans man were to fight in the UFC. We're going to suddenly realize the world won't let you do that. 
or, you know, you can parade around all day, but the minute it comes to something is like coming in contact with other people, like God's world is just like, it doesn't. Reality is pretty brutal. Correct. Yeah. So that brutal effort. But, you know, one thing you were saying about coaches, that seems to be the only place outside of maybe the military that you can see full-blown, slightly brutal masculinity in order to motivate a group of men. Oh, oh, well, the other place is the boardroom. Uh, and okay. so I worked in corporate America for a time. And we had, I remember we had this uh, HR woman. She'd, she'd go around and she, she was giving everyone jelly beans. And this was before I ended up working in HR and I ended up working for a, a really large corporation. And I ended up working for right underneath one of the top execs. But this was before that. And she's going around handing out um, jelly beans. And I'm like, oh, what's the jelly beans about? Well, we're celebrating diversity. And I said, oh, well, jelly beans are like a really good example because they all look different, but they all taste like crap. They all <laughs> they all they equally all taste, taste bad. Yeah, they're all bad. Well, that's not the point. Well, you should think through your metaphor a little more. But um, M&M so- seems like a clear go-to. <laughs> so she's stressing diversity and how we all love each other and men and women, there's no difference. Well then, so I, I get promoted and I'm, I'm underneath one of the vice presidents and I go into this boardroom and uh, these managers, they failed to hit their goals. And I have never in my life heard so many vicious F-bombs and a man ripping into people. I was Oof. like, what is going on? I was so glad that I hit my goals. But I was just listening there and I was thinking like, it, it was simple profit, right? right. He like, it, like there's don't, I don't care that you have kids at home. You stay at work and work 70 hours a week. I mean, these guys were just vicious and it, it was intense. And I thought like, wow, like all that diversity stuff that's for out there. But in this boardroom and the doors closed, like at the end of the day, they, they want to see results. Right. And uh, so that's, that's an area that you still see it. You know, and uh, we had Aaron Wren out a few months ago, um, and in terms of the boardroom, he was saying, too, that one disadvantage that women will have as they move into those corporate positions, he was sort of talking about the post-family world that especially he's around in New York, where it's like, you know, at some level, these women are, as far as their jobs and the government and everything else, they're really, a family is not a first primary need. Um like it would have been. But he was saying, you know, men in the corporate world are told on the daily, like, hey, you you can't wear that anymore, or you have to drop weight, or here are the things that you have to do to succeed. And then when it comes to, you know, now you throw uh, women in the mix, and that's not anything that those guys are willing to lose a job for or go to, you know, court for or anything of that nature. And so he said he's seen the decline of... of um, of a certain level of quality, um, even on that, on the corporate side. In men or women? On the or whole, both. on the whole, on the whole, just okay. because, uh, as far as not willing to go, not keeping the standard any longer, sort of like a firefighter effect of, uh, the, sure, the, the dummies are, the dummies are losing the weight that they used to. Yeah. And also, I mean, they're not going to take a risk with the women because of the whole me too movement That's and, and mentoring them up. And, and so, uh, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it to them. And, but so look, that, that can only go so far because, um, the government's not going to come in and bail everybody out. It's only, they're only going to bail certain people out that have the right lobbyists. The two big defense. And that's right. And so eventually, um, reality will come crashing down on them too. And so there, there's a reckoning coming. You know, I used to always ask people how long, let's just, let's just say everyone's gay. How long does that world last? Right. One generation, right? right. Um, o- only God's design leads to stability. Anything when you reject that, it brings chaos, and and that's that we're living in chaos in the West. The West is suicidal right now. Yeah, I'm curious too. You mentioned uh, Ed Young just as an example um, earlier. So I grew up in Texas, um, north of Ed Young's churches, and our church was uh, not quite as big as Ed Young's, but I definitely grew up in a definitely a non-denominational, really large church, um, cool Baptist kind of vibe. And never did I get any kind of, I had never once kind of got the teaching that you're also describing that you see a lack of or, and, and also never got. Is there anything, you know, what do you think happened in terms of, we have those scriptures, guys preach from that same Bible every Sunday. 
why are why is there several generation of bastards in this in this regard? All right, so it's actually a really really hard question to answer. So you can dial it all the way back to probably like so what you have is leaps, and so think of it like tech technology. So now we have uh, technology leaps quicker and quicker, but as you go back in time, I read this somewhere I can't remember where it was, but there's only like you know, a hundred major technological advances between Julius Caesar and Abraham Lincoln, something like that. Okay. Crazy, right. Right. I, I forget the amount, but the, the, the point is that technology moves quicker and quicker. Something similar has kind of happened with feminism is that you can trace feminism. You take like uh, church impotent by Leon Pottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll, he'll trace it back to the 12th century. Um, the sort of feminization of the church and, and point at Bernard of Clairvaux's bridal mysticism. And I think he has a point there. We think, I've never said this on an interview before, so <laughs> here we go. We, we think actually the Reformation might have something to do with it. And I say that as a very reformed Westminsterian Presbyterian. The emails are already rolling. Yeah. So what we think, there's a possibility that people misunderstood justification uh, to be passive, right? And uh, so the the lack of emphasis on good works that flow out of justification, sanctification, which is not um, monergistic but synergistic, right? The Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, we think the passivity may have fed a sort of laziness um, in men that men are, don't like, and this sort of receptivity was was raised up. And then you kind of see something else similar happening with dispensationalism. Again, dispensationalism is like you kind of like wait in the holy huddle for Jesus to come and save you. Uh, It's not the church going out and and conquering um, as God's chosen tool uh, to bring his kingdom to bear on this earth, but rather you're just kind of like waiting out. It is the worst narrative of all time. I mean, like nobody would buy this story. Actually, I don't know, maybe Left Behind really calls my bluff there. But just (laughs) getting beaten so bad that your coach has to call you out. That's exactly right. So, um uh, so we think we, as you look at it, you start to pull out these different threads. There's a lot of things that have been going on. So passivity and doctrine, which Christianity is not passive. The, like the gospel establishes the law in the life of the believer. You can't accomplish the law in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit to regenerate you. And uh, but there's this sort of passivity. There's this bridal mysticism where the church is everything becomes eroticized in the way we relate to Jesus. That's guys don't like that gay stuff. I don't like that at all um then there's also um there's also romanticism i think plays a big part where this idea that women are like these angelic beings and somehow are less fallen than men and that's like 1700s 1800s all we know is that the feminization of the church is not a new thing like cotton mather is complaining about the lack of men in his church in colonial america right so this is not a new thing but it's been taking leaps, and it's been growing quicker and quicker. And in the last century and a half, we've things we've seen things explode with the first through third wave of feminism, with suffrage, um, with all these sorts of things. We're moving quicker with uh, uh, Kenzie and his uh, his yeah. reports, right. and so and those reports were used by the government to enact social engineering that favors. This is what these guys don't get in the red pill world is that the patriarchy is inescapable. Like there's, you will net, you can't destroy it. The world will never, ever, 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 ever be ruled by women. It will not happen. Now, um, the question is whether it's a good patriarchy or a bad patriarchy. Right. Uh, Pharaoh was a bad patriarchy. And what does the patriarchy do? Does it say, you know what? We need to kill all the women, toss them into the river. No, it doesn't. Bad, evil patriarchy says get rid of the men. It's because men are a danger to the system. He says kill the firstborn men. And so our what we have in our government is, um, you know, E. Michael Jones. Boy, I'm going in deep in this interview. Really but uh, e, um, e. Michael Jones talks about back in the day in cultural wars, if you used to subscribe to his magazine. I, I don't even know if he still does it. But a point that he always made that I thought was fascinating with pornography is what pornography does is that it pacifies men. It makes men not a danger because their drive to have sex, which is a major drive for men, is pacified. And suddenly these are these again are house cats. And now we have video games too. Video games 
the problem with video games is that they is that men accomplish things in them. Men work really, really hard to develop strategies and skills. Yep. Right? And so the problem is is that men actually are accomplishing things in a virtual world. And but not in the real world. And so men want to conquer. So now we've got pacified men. We've got men that that want to conquer, but they're all the more capacified by video games, and they're not a threat to a tyrannical government or anything like that. And so we have this evil patriarchy. Um, I think that we see more and more that is just a that wants men to be weak, and they like women because women are compliant. And and so women are much more compliant than men. They're, they're easier to manage. That's why they're, that they're, there's a glut of them in middle management um, for a certain reason. And even the corporations is a patriarchy. Like, who do these women think they're working for? I mean, 95% of the people, the CEOs that run companies are men. All, all a corporation is is an emaciated household. Basically, you're taking a household, reducing it down to its economic core. It's a revenue-generating machine, and more and more corporations function as a go-to family. They start doing work in the community. They start having like all these parties and stuff. It's like a quasi-household, a quasi-family, and, and so the women are in there working for the glory of another man's name. I think Chesterton and, points that out too early, and that was just, early. Yeah, there's no escape in the patriarchy cannot escape it. So what I think what's happening now though is is that those women aren't happy. You see these articles coming out all the time like feminism lied to me. Sure did. <laughs> and these women aren't happy. And the men are like this is miserable. Everyone told me if I'm nice, if I'm agreeable, that I'm going to get a woman and they're going to love me and I'm going to get the things I want, but that's not happening. You know men men are like always looking for the straight line. How do I connect point A to point B? You tell me this is the pathway to point B, I'm going to take it. But now they're realizing they've been sold a bill of goods. And so this is like we're at this weird cultural moment right now where there's a sort of awakening, I think. I, I you, you know, I, you sent some questions to me beforehand. I, I am cautiously optimistic in the short term. I'm incredibly op- optimistic in the long term. You know, um, Nan and I both are post millennial. We try not to let that. If you read our stuff, you'll pick up on it. But sure. we don't. <laughs> we don't want to alienate those of other eschological positions. <laughs> um, Any more than we already have in this interview. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I'm very. You know, we will. God's way will will uh, be brought to bear on this entire earth. But I do think we've kind of reached peak insanity. People are waking up and they're saying, you know, wait a second, you know, this is not good. And so it's not just that manhood, biblical manhood and womanhood and patriarchy and all this stuff is true, but it's also good. It's good. We can't just emphasize its trueness, its rightness, but also the goodness it brings into someone's life. I am married to a woman I love. We have had fruitful sex, and God's given us a bunch of babies, and it's good. One thing I'm always trying to emphasize on my Twitter is that marriage and children are good. I enjoy this. My life is happy. I I don't have a perfect life, but the the way of God is good. And so I think men and women both are saying, like, man, what we've been told is this is not good. This is bad. And and all the social engineering can't, can't get rid of reality. I think In you reality, had something the other day talking about that maybe the difference between boomers was it you about how they spoke about marriage. Uh, that sounds like Aaron Wren is uh, the guy that, that's bold enough to hate boomers. Okay, man, maybe it wasn't you. I thought for sure I just heard it. Okay, I'm sorry, I cut you off though. No, no, I want to hear now. I want to. I think it was. Uh, man, I really don't. I was hoping that it was you so that you could finish the thought for me. But it was something <laughs> to the effect of. Uh, Boomers all like generally having a negative tone in terms of the difficulty of marriage, or um, it was right up in line with what you're saying in terms of you you emphasizing how how much you enjoy your marriage, how good your marriage is. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Aaron Renz talked about this a little bit. A lot of people have talked about this. Is that a lot of times could have been um, C.R. Jer- Wiley, maybe. Yeah, Chris. Chris is a guy that everyone should be reading right now. He's certainly been helpful to me. Um, actually, I'm looking at his book right now, "The Household and the War for the Cosmos." Excellent. Look at this. Can't can't impress. Tell Man. you what, who published um, that thing? You know, the foresight. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, what I was going to say is that 
what I what I realized is that so I'm I'm born in 1980. My wife's born in 1984, and uh, so I'm a I, I'm a micro gen. I'm a gen that grew up both analog and digital between two worlds. Right. So I, I had enough analog that I understand the world of dialing a rotary phone. I understand pulling the cord in another room to talk to your friend. I understand you know uh, like. I used to talk to Emily when we were dating um, on a uh, payphone. I had to drive drive across the river to Kentucky because we didn't have a phone in my house. I was too poor, so okay. I drive across the river in my truck, and a quarter would get me, um, you know, long. I could talk as long as I wanted. That was long distance in Indiana. Um, so it's just that world. I, the internet was. I remember watch, I watched the Hindenburg uh, blow up on like some little stamp size video on the computer wow. it just blew, blew my mind. I was like, Oh my goodness. Right. You know? So that's like the world I live in. And, uh, I remember reading Carm for the first time when the Mormons were trying to recruit me. I was discipled by Mormons for a year wow. and like the early version of Carm.org was on like, like an angel fire website or something. Um, but I, I didn't really have access. There was no social media. There was no pornography online. Napster happened while I was in college. And uh, even back then, to download stuff on Napster was like, you know, it was like an all day event downloading you had a to couple of vacation and it was, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I, didn't, I didn't have any of that AIM, American, uh, or was it AIM is right? What's it called? American. Oh, uh, the oh, AOL. AOL's instant of, messaging, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was like the first kind of really social media thing going on online. I, I barely experienced any of that, and but but I knew enough of the internet that the internet doesn't scare me. I, I mean, like I, I've been off cable for years. As soon as iTunes came out, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm never, you know, cable exists for sporting events, and I'll just go to a friend's house. Yeah. Um, and so. I'm kind of a weird generation. Those of us that are born from about 78 to about 85 in that area. And, but the people after me, so the people before me are, were uncomfortable with the internet. The people after me, it's most, they knew it their whole life. They had social media. They had the pornography that came from it. They had the sort of narcissism and self-focus that came from social media. Um, they had kind of online instant demand. And, and the, so the folks after me, uh, I remember, the girls from my high school, like the, how many of them were sleeping around and how I found out about like my friend's younger sisters, it blew my mind. And there was just a real change. And that seems to be connected to cell phones and, and sexting and all that sort of stuff that was happening back then. And there's this real intense cultural shift. And it's been so intense that even I had a hard time to catch up with it. You know, I would talk right. to these guys and, and they would tell me about their experiences and I just could not relate. And if I couldn't relate and I lived in between worlds, those men that came before me, mm -hmm. they have a real hard time. I was talking to a pretty famous reformed pastor and he was telling me about how he took these guys out to, to lunch and he wanted to introduce them to this waitress that he really liked and how the guys were real nervous and didn't know how to talk to her and flirt to her and how he was just done helping these men. That's and I hilarious. thought that's that's a pretty good picture. These guys, these these baby boomer pastors, they do love men and they do want to help them, but they're also very frustrated and they don't understand why these men lack this sort of social awareness and ability to talk to women. And uh, it's because there's we're living in a sort of like industrial revolution like time. I mean, people, I, uh, what do they think? The internet's a trend or something? This is like, <laughs> this isn't. Incredible what's happening. Right. And so I think the boomers kind of don't understand uh, what's being fed, what's been fed to the generations that came after Gen X. Maybe the velocity and even just the rate at being fed, like you were mentioning oh. earlier. I mean, it's nuts. It really is intense. And I, I'm, I'm playing catch up. And you're trying to sort through like, okay, how much of this is actual cultural shift? How much is this is victimhood and men not wanting to take responsibility for their inaction? I mean, the, you're, you're living in those tensions. You're trying to discern what's up. So when I do phone calls with men, I, when anytime I go to grocery shopping, I say, hey, I got 20 minutes for anyone that wants to talk on, on my Twitter. And people will call me. And the reason I do it is not because I have all the answers. I don't. But I'd like to hear what these men are struggling with and I like to hear their perspective and what they think's wrong and what they're trying to solve. It just helps me understand who I'm writing to and what their issues are. And um, and 
and what I, the men I talk to most, I mean, I get a little bit of everything, but if I was going to break them down into two categories, I would say they're men in their late teens, early twenties that just have no clue on how to get a woman and where to go with their life. And the other group would be men in their mid to late thirties who are divorcees. And the churches just said, look, um, it was your fault. It was your fault that you're divorced. And, and the church has very little sympathy for them. And those are the men that are like, uh, what do I do? How do what, what's my place in the church? How do I re- rebuild my life? And, um, and a lot of the answers we're giving these guys are partial or not very helpful, I think. Right. And even further, just even not having the answers with, uh, I mean, they're already not preaching, like you mentioned, the wisdom texts. And so, you know, when stuff... When events happen that those texts are really written for, they certainly don't have, you know, it seems like they certainly don't have the answer then. Yeah, and it's not like these pastors aren't wise men and don't have certain things to say. I mean, they, they absolutely do. I just think I just think things have happened really quick and we're all kind of, kind of scrambling to react. But it seems that a lot of the pagans are ahead of us, you know, um, in some areas. It's not the first time that's happened. But... Um, but I think pastors should be really paying attention to these men and deciphering why, why in the world, I want to know why do men care about Jordan Peterson? He sounds like Kermit the frog. Why do they care about this? He's guy? a super impassioned Canadian Kermit the frog, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, but the, but you see him like in that famous interview he did with that, uh, that real obnoxious woman. Right. Um, so you're saying, so you're so saying, what you mean so, you're is. Saying, so what you mean is, right. so what you mean women are dumb. Right. Um, <laughs> So uh, you see this guy that knows how to manage his emotions and be in control, and, and you see how he talks to young men. He, he seems to really care and side with them, and, and he understands their issues, and he's built a whole ministry on telling men to make their beds. Right. <laughs> it's right. incredible. It's it, certainly a call. I mean, like, it, it's, he's going to, at the very least, be a footnote. Yeah. In, in in this portion of history. I mean, whether he's more than that's still to be seen. But what is what I remember I was at a Kroger, which is a grocery store in the Midwest. You know, I was at a Kroger. I was working there. Okay, gotcha. So I shook uh, this guy's hand. And he was a friend of my father's and he said, Son, never shake a man's hand that way again. Whoa. He said, What is that? A dead fish? Oh, <laughs> and I, I was like, Never again am I shaking him. I remember I crushed this old woman's hand once. <laughs> oh, sonny. You know, and, and, uh, and, but you know what? Men need that. Yeah. Men need to know how to keep eye contact. They know how to shake hands. They need, they need to know how to flirt with a woman, right? Without being a creep. They need, they need to, they need to understand these things. And these are things that were originally taught to you by your dad, your uncle, your grandfather, but the nuclear family has been gutted. The extended family hasn't existed for a long time. And the things, the, the sort of ecosystem that God had designed to raise people up in has been under attack in our, in our country for quite a while. And so men, pastors getting up there telling men to man up, try harder, you know, and all this. Well, the problem is these guys, they are willing to try. They really are, but they, they, they really are clueless. They need instruction. You got it. You can't just tell men to flee, right? You have to tell them to flee, right? But you also have to tell them pursue. Here's run from that, run to this with those that call on God from a a pure conscience. Okay. Second Timothy 2.22. So you've got to tell them God's no, don't fornicate. Don't do adultery. Because yes, right, here's how you get a woman, make fruitful love, fill the world with covenant children that fear God, right? This is this is where we're at right now. We need real basic things. And when I look at what we're doing with It's Good to Be a Man, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm not, man. We like, we're saying simple things. <laughs> right, right. We really are. And as someone like called me and said like, you're like a Christian Jordan Peterson. Oh my goodness. Is that depressing me? <laughs> right? right me like like i don't understand prepositions if it wasn't for non no one would follow it's good to be a man <laughs> i'm barely literate non's you know i i'm the one willing to take risk and do a lot of the research non's a smart one um but uh but the reality is is that we're just in a desperate time and, and when i talked to these men i was talking to a guy on the on the phone the other day 
And he was just talking about a struggle to get over pornography. He was like 27 and he did, has never had a girlfriend his whole life. And he's got a kind of a nowhere going uh, career. And he's reaching out to me, some guy on Twitter, to get direction for his life. I mean, doesn't that break your heart? I mean, it breaks, where are the fathers? Yeah. Where are the pastors? Why are these men not being discipled? I mean, there, there is an army out there of men. And, and so it just, we just, we need to send out flares and say, come to our church. Men are welcome. We're not just going to scream at you. We're going to train you up to go out there and preach the gospel and bring God glory through, through a doctrine of vocation, through excellence in your work. We're going to help you know how to find a wife. We're going to support you as you seek to lead a family. I mean, this is what men need. And as men go, so society goes. Right. You know, and you, you, on on that similar, you you were starting down it. I'm I'm curious to know. So as we and we'll kind of wrap up here. Um, so I don't take all of your time. Um, so if if someone's listening to this, and let's say they uh, similar to you, uh, and I woke up to it, know that they don't have the tool belt for this, but know they need it. How, how would you? How would you encourage or exhort and like what would you advise pastors to do if they know I don't have the tool belt, but I know I need it? Well, okay. So pastors or individuals or both? Maybe let's go both. Okay. So let me start with individuals. It's a little easier. What what I tell an individual is is that self-rule is where you start. And the only way you can rule yourself, the only way you can have control over your desires is to be ruled by the, the, the God of the universe, right? So you need to bow your knee to King Jesus. And Jesus will work in you. His Holy Spirit will work in you. He'll strengthen you and he'll reorder your desires. Um, lust is bad, not because it's a desire, but it's a desire that's inordinately uh, focused. It's focused on the wrong thing. Right. When I sexually desire my wife, that's not lust. Right. That's love. I love her. Um, So you need the Holy Spirit. You need regeneration. You need to be born again. You need to believe the gospel that you're a sinner. You're damned to hell. And the only way you can be made right with God is through Jesus's death on the cross, the hope of the resurrection, all that. You need to believe that. And uh, so you need to be under God's rule, and then God will strengthen you to rule yourself. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. As you control yourself, as you take little steps, you get up on time. You don't sleep in, right? You do. You do. You start your morning with ten push-ups, and then fifty push-ups, and then you run, and then you drink enough water, and you take a cold shower. You develop like routines and habits. You, you're Bill Murray. <laughs> and it's Groundhog's Day, right? Right. <laughs> you slowly realize that God has made you to live on a rhythm. It's it's day, it's night, it's day, it's night, it's Sabbath, we start over, right? Everything is on a circuit, and you start running your life that way. So you start building self-discipline, and self-discipline is a snowball that rolls down a hill, and it gets stronger and stronger. So you don't try to bench press 500 pounds the first time you hit right? You'll never do it. You just start with the bar and you build strength. So you build strength. And then as you learn to rule yourself, you'll find that a man that can rule himself is a man that can do well in business. And is a man that a wife, a woman will respect. Women respect men that have self-control and status, you know, men that are, uh, take good care of themselves. Uh, you'll find that the Lord will bless that. God, God is a rewarder of those who faithfully, um, or diligently seek him. And so I would say, start all with, uh, making your bed, start all with waking up and reading a chapter of the Bible. Hey, guess what? There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. Most months have about 31 days in it. Just read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Ask God to open your eyes. Start these little things. That's what I would tell every man. Don't try to conquer the world. Just try to conquer your bedroom and work your way out. Try to conquer yourself. And and you'll see that God will bless it. Um, Basically, you rule yourself. That allows you to rule a wife. And you and your wife together rule a family. And then as we build up households, we build build up all society. But it starts with you. It starts with you. Stop. You don't blame your dad. Yeah, you had a bad dad. We all had bad dads. Big whoop. Some of us had even worse dads. 
right? I hear you. I feel you. But you you have to, like, he's not here. God's going to judge you for your actions. You better be willing to stand before him. So that's why I tell a guy, sober up. And guess what? God made you to be a man. And he made men to conquer, to rule, and to do so for his glory. So do what you're made to be because it, it'll feel right. You're like, what's his name? Eric Liddell or Lytle? Lytle. I always see Liddell. We have these Liddell. Liddell, whatever. You know, like when I run, I feel his pleasure, yeah, right? Right. When you're a man, you'll feel God's pleasure. You'll say, this is what I meant to do, okay? Right. Now, to what To pastors, what I would say is um, do not underestimate the cluelessness of the men in your church. Um, Maybe a good rule for everybody, you know? Yeah. I would say that, especially to pastors, because if if you lose their trust, you're not going to lose their trust if you say, yeah, that's that's a hard situation. Let me get back to you. You're not going to lose their trust if you say that. But if uh, if you give them like kind of cheap platitudes that is pre, pre-internet age, um, you, you might lose their trust because a lot of the things that they're seeing on the internet – I remember when I, I watched uh, – <laughs> This is the worst interview. I can't believe I'm saying these things this one. Okay. I've admitted to E. Michael Jones, among other things. I remember I was watching this pickup artist video, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was curious what the guys are going to. So I, I looked for all the top, I, I did searches for top keywords yep. um, in my research for all this. And I came to this pickup artist video and I was watching this guy give advice on how to pick women up. And I was wondering what young, young men were hearing. And I just thought to myself, there's no way in a world. There's just no way this would work on a woman. And then it occurred to me that I myself had a woman and I could find out if it worked. So lo and behold, I, I decided I'm going to try it out on my wife and it worked. <laughs> and I just thought that guy oh, with the goodness. peacock hat, he knows what he's, what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, No, I wasn't one of those guys. Oh, this okay. guy was not. Yeah. That's a uh, real sexual dynamics is like a real popular one on, I just remember on a show on VH1 when I was in high school, and I was just like, all right, dude, from 5.30 well, to 6, this is where I'm at. Well, peacocking does get women's attention. That's why rock stars do it. And right. uh, uh, But usually that's like kind of low-grade sort of stuff. Anyway, this guy was talking about sexual polarity and how opposites attract and all this stuff. And, and some of it just seemed cheesy to me, but it worked. And so the problem is these young guys are going to these guy, to this stuff on YouTube, and it does get at least short-term results. I'm not saying at least the stability of a marriage and a family. It probably sure. doesn't. Um, but I'm just telling you that platitudes. It's some uh, guys, Absalom with that crazy hat on and a vest, you know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so what I tell pastors is don't underestimate their closeness, how they need help on handshakes, posture, dress. You know, men have to be taught that like you, you, you dress to, to the circumstances you want to be appropriate. Um, in other words, you, you don't, I remember I used to wear flip-flops at church. And the reason I wore flip-flops is to let everyone know I didn't care, which means you care. (laughs) You care that they know you don't care. Yeah, it's like me saying, like, I'm above you guys by dressing like a slob. You can't do anything about it. Um, So you don't want to do that, but you don't want to be the guy that shows up, like, in a tuxedo either, right? Like like Dumb and Dumber or something. Um, You don't want to be that guy. So, like, they need to be taught on these things. And uh, and they need encouragement. It's hard. The world hates men. Misandry right now is a real problem. And uh, they hate little boys. They're drugging them with Adderall and Ritalin or whatever, and trying to get them to act like little girls in public schools. And there's just a there really is a war on God's um, God's sexual design, uh, and, and you see it against women and men, but it's in particular intense. So I'd say like these guys need encouragement. Right. It's really easy to get discouraged, and so uh, yeah, hit them, hit them hard. You know, I mean, with my son. I'll say, Hudson, I expect more from you. I expect more from you because I know you can do a better job than this, son. And then I was telling him, now let's do it. Okay, let's do it. You got this. I'm in your corner. You know, I'll encourage them. But yeah, hit the men hard, but they need encouragement. And so those are some of the things I would say, you know, look, man, I'm 39. I've been in the ministry um, as an official pastor, a very short time. So I'm just giving you guys the wisdom I have, but, uh, you know, take it with, uh, that asterisk right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, listen, man, I thank you so much for giving us some time. I know, like you said, you've got quite a crowd over there. So I thank you for taking time away from them. 
Um, and we'd love to have you back on if you're willing. Yeah, you guys need to have non tenant on. He's got that New Zealand accent. He's I was like, say, he, man, I, uh, yeah, I think he's I, from South Africa, but he's been in New Zealand, and that's why his accent is all hard to place. If you know people from those two countries, right? But uh, he's fun, and if I can be on and tease him at the same time, oh, I would dude. really. This is the stuff that episode great episodes are made of. So we'll definitely yeah. do that. Yep. Thank you so much. I yeah, man. We'll it. find you. At, uh, it's good to be a man podcast. What's the website? Uh, it's good to be man.com is our website. I'm on Twitter at this is foster. You can find non at B N O N N on Twitter. And we're on, we, we've got the Facebook page until we get deplatformed, which is certain to happen, <laughs> which but you is imminent. That's- it is it's a coming uh but it's good to be a man on facebook and uh anyway really appreciate what you guys are doing at canon and thanks for having me on thanks michael take take care all right god bless